The message you're about to hear is from the stable of the Capstone Church Without Walls. Tonight, I'm very excited to be fellowshipping with you again tonight, and I just want to take you on this Wednesday boost, and I will be sharing on um, what I've titled Evangelism by Precept and by Example. All right, let's look at the scripture around this tonight in the book of John chapter 8 from verse 1 to 11. You know, I always said it, Jesus is our perfect example. If we want to do anything right and we are not sure how to get it, do it right, just let's look into Jesus. Just look into the perfect law of liberty. Just look at the example of Jesus and then you'll be fine. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. Human beings can be weird sometimes. You know, even the best of us can be weird a little sometimes and be off key sometimes. Even as great as Apostle Paul was, you know, he would say things like, well, I said this by the Spirit and also, but this one I said by the flesh, you know, you know, so, but the one that is perfect in every way was Jesus. And so let's look at Jesus being our perfect model as we look at evangelism by precept and by example. So this discourse happened one of the days and the Bible says in verse one, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn. He appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Now, the temple courts were not the innermost. I've said this before. The temple courts were the periphery of the, of the real temple. In the outer court of the temple, that's where they have fellowship. That's where they pray. That's where they have a lot of stuff. That's also where they sell stuff. Okay? But the inner part is where the priest minister, and then the innermost part is where the holy as well. So the fringe of the temple court. So Jesus would go there because he needed to interface with people who are religious, and so he would teach them. Scripture says one of those days was this. So Jesus was teaching them, he started to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. So not only was Jesus there, but there are also the Pharisees and the Sadducees there too. And the scripture says here, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made us stand before the group. So that means like a lot of people. And they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now I need to let you not be too fast in reading the scripture to know that Jesus was there for one purpose only and it was to teach. Is that correct? But the Bible also says that there are some other group of people also were there also to teach too. The Bible calls them teachers of the law. So here we see a, a, a meeting point or a melting point of teaching and whenever you talk about teaching, you talk about doctrines. We talk about principles or philosophies. So here Jesus was trying to pass across a philosophy of the Father because that's who he represents. Jesus represents the Father's philosophy. Is that correct? The teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they also represent the philosophy, the philosophy of Moses. So Jesus, they, continue, they, they continued here, and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such men. So they are teachers of the law of Moses. Okay? They are apologists of Moses. Jesus is the apologist of the Father. Praise the name of Jesus. All right? Okay, so it says, verse 5, In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped and wrote on the ground. I mean, verse 9, now at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Until only Jesus was left. Now, I want to believe that the reason Bible spoke about the older ones first was because they have lived longer time and they have committed a lot more sin than the younger ones. Is that correct? 
<laughs> okay. So, that might explain why it was the older ones that left first. Okay. Until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. So, Jesus straightened up and asked a woman, where are they? As no one condemned you, I want you to underline the word condemned. It's going to be a significant part of our discussion tonight. As no one condemns you, and then she replied, no one, sir, she said. Then, neither do I condemn you. Again, that's what again, condemn. So the focus of this description is the issue of condemnation or not. Jesus declared, go now and live your life of sin. Praise the name of Jesus. That means quit your life of sin. Is that correct? Not go and live on in sin. No, live. I mean, quit your life of sin. Now, when you look at this, clearly, it speaks a lot about the philosophy of Jesus uh, and how it relates or it related with sinners. And I want us to really take a cue from that tonight. But let's look at the book of John chapter 3, verse 17. Let's build something more around the word of God tonight. Again, talking about Jesus. The Bible says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So again, you see the issue of condemning. So the father sent the son to save, not to condemn. Now last week, I remember we were talking about the quality of the mandate that we have received as believers. And we remember saying that Jesus used the word, I think in the book of John 20, verse 21 or so, I can't remember, when it says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And we looked at that word saying, we say it's the word apostolo, and that is the word apostolos, which basically means that we sent with a mandate to carry out a mission. And then we said, Jesus used the same word apostolo, that the Father sent me, apostolo, the Father apostolo me, and I have apostolo you. So we can clearly say that Jesus was apostolic in his assignment, and we are apostolic too. Basically means we are sent on a mission, to accomplish a mission. So that means that when you put our mandate and the mandate of Jesus, we are at par. We have the same quality of grace and the same mandate. Praise God. In fact, Jesus said, because you are the kind of money that I have, as I leave, you will be my extension program that greater works than I have done, you will do. As a matter of fact, to make it easy for you, I will send part of me to you, my spirit to you. It will dwell inside you and it will teach you all things. Whatever it is you need to know about the future, it will reveal to you. And to let you know that it's not fake, it will glorify me because it will testify of me. So we have the Holy Spirit in this moment who continue to testify about Jesus. And so we are God's extension project in this apostolic assignment. Is that correct? Would I be right to say that? So when the Bible is saying that Jesus now, you know, speaking here and says, as the Father sent Jesus not to condemn the world but to save them, so also we can say the Father sent us to save the world and not to condemn the world. Now, when we, when we track back to the book of John chapter 8 that we read concerning Jesus, praise the praise Lord Jesus. Maybe let's look at verse 12 to 20. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In verse 13, it says, So the Pharisees challenged him. It looks like everywhere Jesus went, these Pharisees were always there. It was like Jesus always rubbed them on the wrong side all the time. Why? Because they were teachers of the law, but there was something they were teaching that Jesus had a problem with. And anything they were teaching that Jesus had a problem with, you and I need to have a problem with the same thing. Praise God. Don't forget, we have the same mandate. Is that correct? 
All right, that's why we need to understand it. So the Pharisees challenge him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. In verse 14, Jesus said, Jesus answered, even if I testify of my own self, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. That means they have no revelation of Jesus. That's what he's saying. You judge by human standards. Okay. Which means that they are physically drawn. They are drawn by things they see. They are drawn by what people do physically. And that is what informs whatever they teach. Praise the name of Jesus. It says you judge. They are that word judge there. Anywhere you see the word condemnation, there must be a judge. Is that correct? All right. Someone, a judge sits and sentences someone. You are condemned. Okay. Or convicted. There's always a judge. The, job, the duty of a judge is to condemn or to convict or to acquit. In this case, Jesus said, you judge. That means that you pronounce judgment on people and you condemn them using not God's standard but human standard. But he says, I pass judgment on no one. Dressing, well, I do not judge anyone, praise God. And again, I must say that if we carry the same manner as Jesus and we represent Jesus on the earth, we have no right to pass judgment on no one. Is that correct? Will it be right, all right, right to say that? All right. But these Pharisees don't seem to get that. Because here they brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. This wasn't a suggestion. This wasn't an assumption. They really caught her pants down, so to speak. So it was not a call of, okay, well, maybe she was, she was just passing by. Maybe it's a case of mistaken identity. No, 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 no. She was caught in the act. And they brought her to Jesus. And they had a very good ground. And they had witnesses. They had witnesses, and in their law, if you, have, if you want to condemn someone, you have to have two or three witnesses so that you can have a validation of what you are trying to press charges. So it was, everything was there. The only thing that was missing was a judgment, and they wanted Jesus to do that. And Jesus shocked them because Jesus was seen as a holy man. Jesus was seen as the one who claimed he comes from the Father and that he is the holiest of all men, and here he is. Do your job. This is a good opportunity for you. To show that you are quite holy. We brought a woman who has been sleeping and been snatching women's husbands. She had denied it several times, but now we caught her in the act. So do your job. Pass. Jesus said, I'll rather pass. I pass no job on no one. Now that is a radical step. That is a radical thing that any holy man or any teacher will do. To pass on a, an, an, an established serial adulteress. I mean, if I was in that meeting that day and I had Jesus speak like that, I would stop following him, probably. Because I've been in church a long, a long time. Is that correct? I've been in church a long time. I've read the Bible a long time enough. I've read the laws of Moses a long time enough to know that if a woman is caught in adultery, what you do, you stone her to death. And if anybody says, don't do that, I, will say, I begin to doubt the call of this man. I probably will be the first to renege following him. Because sometimes when we risk it, we don't, we don't seem to internalize what actually was going on in that, in that moment. So we could say Jesus was all alone. I mean, what kind of man is it? But Jesus said, I pass no judgment on no one. Verse 16, please. So he says, but if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. So what he's trying to say is that this may not be popular, may not be popular action or procedure of action in life, but I know I'm alone, but I know I stand with the Father. Now, as God's people, it's important for us to know that our decisions or our approach to living out the faith that we have come to receive through Christ may not be very, may not be popular. You may actually be alone, but guess what? God is with you. Amen. 
And that's what should be most important to you. Not public opinion, but God's presence. Assuredness of God's being with you. Okay? And he says to you, I'll be with you always. So, you just said this. He says, in your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the father who sent me. The father who sent me. So, they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, now that is talking about revelation of Jesus. He says, if you knew me, you will also know my father. Which basically is trying to say, now, that is a bit strange because we are dealing with people here who all their life they've spent reading the scriptures. He said, this, the Bible calls them the teachers of the law. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are church boys, church girls, church apostles, church prophets, church evangelists, church pastors, church whatever you want to call them. They knew the law back to back. Okay? And so they understood what was happening here. But Jesus said, you do not know the Father, neither do you know me. He spoke this words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one sees it because his time had not yet come. Okay, so let's look at a little bit. Let's, let's extract Jesus. Let's extract what could be going on in the mind of Jesus when it was, it was, it was, this was playing out. Now, to further establish this, you know, we've looked at Jesus dealing with uh, a sect of people called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, let's look at another example in Scripture, the Apostle Paul. Okay? The bottom line is, there is an issue here that we are dealing with, and it's the issue of those who claim to be teachers of the law, those of us. Now, I know that one of the reasons I'm teaching this is because we have a mandate to go teach the world. Is that correct? Go into all the world. Make disciples of, of all nations. Teaching them to observe all I have commanded you to do. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the earth. So we are teachers of the gospel. Is that correct? Hello, people. We are called, mandated by God to teach the truth of God's word. Now the question is, what is this truth of the gospel? What is the truth of God's word? When do we begin to go into extreme in our, in our desire to teach the principle of God? At what point do we begin to stop teaching and start condemning? At what point do we go beyond, do we go beyond our job description? To being judges instead of being teachers. Is that correct? Alright, so Galatians chapter 2 please. I hope you understand what we're dealing with here. Alright, Galatians chapter 2 please. Let's look at that. And this was the example of the apostle Paul uh, writing to one of the churches he planted. Uh, I'll read from verse 11 to verse 16. You can read the rest. Verse 11. Now, Paul was, was recounting an experience. He says, Peter, now Peter is a, Jew, is a Jewish apostle who was the president of the church in Jerusalem, which was a Jewish land. Paul is an apostle to Gentiles, and he had just planted this church in Galatia among Greeks, among unbelievers, among Gentiles, among people who do not understand circumcision, who don't care about washing rice, about the temple, about the animals, about pouring uh, burnt offering, whatever offering, whatever for sin. So these guys were as crude as can be. They have no concept of God. That's why they are called Gentiles. They are anti-God. They do not know God. They were not born into the Christian faith. They were not born into the Mosaic law. They don't know what it means. When the Bible says an eye for an eye, they don't care. 
When the Bible talks about city of refuge, whatever it is, that was a concept of the of Judaism. They did not know. They don't know, and they don't care. But here, Paul is doing a work among them, and that's a hard job because now you are trying to show God to a people who were never who never knew anything about God. If they wanted to enjoy themselves, they had wild parties, revelry, drunkenness, and the amount of things. Sometimes, if the party gets so interesting and they feel that there's nothing else to do, they begin to take their children and begin to pass them through fire in sacrifice. I mean, these guys will do all manner of things, you know. And now, Paul had just planted a church among them. But Paul had a problem. It was this. Even though he's a Jew himself, and now he's doing work among these Gentiles, preaching the gospel to them, getting them saved. He has gotten them saved. But there's a problem with what was being taught to these people. Okay. So this experience, so Peter had come from Jerusalem, the Jewish apostle had come from Jerusalem, to Antioch, a Gentile nation, a Gentile church. Paul was there with some of the brethren, and see what happened. So when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, Paul's writing, because it was clearly in the wrong. Now, what was, Paul, what was Peter's, Peter's wrong? Before certain men came from James, now James, okay, maybe I, I said something. I said Peter was the overseer of the church in Jerusalem. It wasn't actually Peter, it was James. James was the head of the church. Okay, praise God. That's, that's actually the way it was. Peter was the most vocal, but James actually was the, was the real resident apostle over Jerusalem church. Is that correct? Alright, so the Bible says, but certain men came from James. And Peter, he used, as Peter now, Peter used to eat with Gentiles. Listen to this. But when they arrived, that means when these people came, when these Jews came from Jerusalem church, Peter began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. That means that in the church in Jerusalem, there are two groups. In every church, there will be two groups. That's why we need to have doctrinal harmonization policies. <laughs> those who believe that you can't just get born against God free like that. And those who believe that it is, salvation is purely by faith in Christ. So, the circumcision group are those people who believe that yeah, you can give life to Jesus, but we also have to take you and circumcise you. I don't care whether you are 85 years old. Your punishment for receiving Jesus is that we have to circumcise you. <laughs> you can imagine what that will, how that will play out in letting people receive Jesus. If the first contact of being saved, let call it a penalty, is that correct? Penalty of being saved is what? You circumcise a 75 year old man. How many people will like, will, will fancy that kind of religion? <laughs> so it became a big issue that the Jerusalem judge will sit down and say, Guys, we are losing converts. We are losing souls. But some people say, who cares? If they're not going to pay the price to get saved, let them go to hell. God will save somebody else. There are six, seven billion people in the world. Only three people are refused to receive Jesus because they don't want to be get circumcised. We will go to 77 billion others. Because this group holds so fast to their philosophy of circumcision. And it became a big problem. Now, the Bible says the other Jews joined Peter in his hypocrisy. Use the word hypocrisy. So that by their hypocrisy. Now, that's another word, the word again. Even Barnabas was not Barnabas is the guy who was always everywhere with Paul, preaching the gospel, planting churches, winning souls, and doing whatever. Which basically means some people are impressed that if you are not careful what we teach and what we allow in our church, they will be led astray to begin to think it's correct to 
It is true. People should not get saved anyhow like that now. Look at how I got saved. I never smoked in my life. I never stole. I never lied. My father and my mother were always very strict. They beat me to a coma. You, you, still, you, you cannot steal in my father's house. And now I'm born again. Now somebody who has lived his life loose, born on the street, born by some harlots, who has lived in has aborted all the baby inside her womb and inside her fallopian tube. So you live in a world where there's a whole lot of ignorance. And so these people, scripture says, they began to have a problem with that. Now Paul says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. So with basically it is possible to have a very good intention to win souls and win the lost and evangelize and get the whole world saved and miss out on salient principle of the truth of the gospel. Which basically means if we are not careful, our messages, I'm going, our messages may drive people away more than bring them into the kingdom. Because we are rigid, because we are, we are, we are, we are fastidious, because for us, no, 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 no. It's either black or white. No, 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 no. If you are in adultery, we, we, we shank you. If, you're, you're, if you want to get born again, we circumcise you. And so, and I think that will speak to us, those of us who are trying to, to expand the gospel, the kingdom of God, and to preach the gospel in different ways we are trying to do that. Praise the name of Jesus. Considering that we live in a world that is perverse and full of people who do not understand what it means to follow God. They don't even, have the, they don't even know the first thing about Jesus and about holiness. Yet we are sent to preach to them. Yet we are sent to them. Are we sent to the world? How many people feel here that you are sent to the world? But you know why you don't preach to them? Because you feel they are too dirty. What would they say if, I, if they see me with a girl in the office that all the boys have slept with? Everyone knows her record. That she has slept with everyone. If they see me with her, that what? That I will not be talking to her. I'm, that I'm preaching to her. Say what's happen. So they will not say, that me too, I want to do my own. By reason of that attitude, you leave that person, he or she goes to hell. That one, I, I, I cannot... <laughs> a guy was talking to us yesterday, my wife and I, about, about a guy that he knows in his work, you know, in his workplace, who is one of the best engineers, but has a problem with drinking. And he says, if I'm taking him to any job, to do any job for the company, I tell him, the person that we are going to work for is an army officer. That is the only way you can dissuade him, or a police officer, that's the only way you can dissuade him from not drinking. Because he will drink himself to stupid, and then he will go and get the job done, and get the job perfectly. It's like shark makes when he sharks, and he's high, he's like, yeah, his anointing flows. Ginger's is swagger. <laughs> and you now find yourself having to sit and say, Me, this guy, when he comes in the morning, how many of you have met people like that? When you meet them by 6 30 a.m., they are drunk. They are drunk. They say, No, 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 no. For those of you who don't understand, right? it means that you will soil my garment. You are so garmented and so holy that you actually can't reach people who are so filthy in trespasses, who are caught in the act of adultery, who are caught in drinking and smoking and partying all night and who have no understanding, who are, who are yoked in drugs, who actually are hooked on pornography and you know it. 
and say it's just thinking. How many people know? Have you have you have you, have you met around people who are into, into into pornography and into into masturbation? If you know it, that's it. There's where they smell. They carry smell, distinct smell. If I if I look at you and I peel me around you, I can pick whether you are into some of these things. Okay, and you know that. And so you say, wow. Everyone know that this guy is gay. Everyone know that this guy is an adulterer. Everyone know that this guy. I mean. <clears throat> We don't want this kind of people in our church. The capstone, church without walls, is a church for decent people. Can I hear amen? If you come to a church like this, you know I'm always asking people, if I see a, you, a guy, who invites a girl, I'll say, is that your girlfriend? Is that correct? I'll say, Are you, is that your fiancé? I always ask that question because we need to be sure a lot of times, praise God. If I see a guy that looks very handsome and is following you around, I'll say, well, did you, is that the person you want to marry? I do that a lot. For those of you who know me, praise the Lord. I guess it comes with being a pastoral person. You just want everybody married. Is that correct? You want every girl married. You want every guy married. Is that correct? Is that a good thing? And start raising good families. The earlier, the better. Hello, people. Okay. So, we need to be able to say, irrespective of our bias, irrespective of our highly placed, holy position, can we still be gracious enough to reach out to an adulteress, to reach out a drug addict, to reach out to a serial adulterer, me, to go and preach to him. If I decide to go and preach to him now, that one that can sleep with anything in skirts, the people in the office will conclude that I am one of the people he's sleeping around with. Me, I can't do that too. I can't do that. So by that action, you have made a statement this person is condemned. I am too holy to touch this unrighteous person. And Jews think like that. Pharisees, Jews thought like that. Sadducees, Jews thought like that. That's the way they thought. They had that arrogance. And before you condemn them, that I see that arrogance in the church of God today. I see the same arrogance. Even we don't even know how to relate with unbelievers. When we get in the midst of a lot of unbelievers, we say, oh God, help me. Oh God, help me. Meanwhile, Jesus, whenever he got into the midst of unbelievers, he hung out with them and, and said, what's up? Praise the name of Jesus. I mean, he hung out with people in the, in the marriage ceremony. Their wine ran out. They forced Jesus to make their wine walk, walk again. Do you think it was Rabina he, he turned the water to? Don't you know that a lot of people went, who left that marriage on that day went home drunk? Do you know that? Courtesy of Jesus. Don't you know that? Don't you know that? <laughs> but in the midst of the unbeliever Gentiles, thousands of them, Jesus knew to do, make a statement. If I perform a miracle here, it will turn the heart of men to begin to be aware that there is a God who wants their heart. So you will, you will get into that place and say, me, I don't do that. I don't do unbelievers. I don't, I don't do, I don't. You speak like you're Americans. But Jesus will go to see a tax collector who has stolen everybody, black and blue, and stolen from everyone. And Jesus will say, make dinner ready. By 6 p.m., I'm going to have lunch dinner with you. That's how Jesus spoke. Jesus hung out with someone who has stolen everybody, black and blue, and who is a corrupt Nigerian official. And while he's at his house, having dinner, say, ah, Matthew, this was the best meal I ever had. Don't you know that's a... Jesus must have said, this is the best chicken I've ever eaten. Because he ate with those guys. And while he's having chicken, suya, 
in the house of the vilest, the most corrupt official of his time, a woman comes past who all her life is a, is a husband snatcher. Took oil. <laughs> that she has saved money from immorality from of many years. Sleeping with men. And so she could afford the best of perfumes. But I don't know for whatever reason when she saw Jesus reclining at the heart of Matthew, something broke inside her. And she began to weep. And began to weep and began to weep and use her tears to wipe the feet of Jesus and began to use her beautiful Peruvian hair, which is natural. And she would use it to pull it. And when that was done, she broke the alabaster box of, of the best of all. That she used the money that she got from her adultery, possibly, and began to anoint the feet of Jesus. Didn't he know that the woman who was cleaning his feet is a husband's snatcher by excellence. Did he not perceive? I thought he's God. Did he not understand and perceive in his spirit that the source of this money that this woman came to use to buy that cologne that she's not using to wash the feet of Jesus it is money for adultery and Jesus you sat there you are not saying anything he's a corrupt Nigerian he's a corrupt pastor is that correct you see Jesus everywhere he went and everything he did went to make a statement and the statement is very clear that there's nothing in your job description as an evangelist as a preacher of the gospel that judges people somebody understands that regardless of what you feel about them or how they appear to you. You have to settle that in your heart, first of all, that your job description does not include passing judgment or condemning the worst of sinners. Keep your opinion to yourself. Your job, my job, is to do what? To save them. To arouse, to preach to them. God will change them using whatever he wants to use to change them. My job is to provide the gospel message and then leave God by his spirit to do the conviction. Hallelujah. Somebody here with me tonight. Anything outside that is anti-gospel. So Paul says, verse 14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you, are, that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And then they want verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ Jesus and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Now that gives us what our message is. That tells us what is the scope of our method of operation. Amen. That's why when they told Jesus, judge her. 
condemn her. She was caught in the act. He looked down. When they had all disappeared one after another, then he looked up and told the woman, uh, Ace, what are you doing here? She said, I feel very broken. She said, Shh. Where are the people who accuse you? She said, they've all gone, sir. She said, okay, I thought as much. I knew they were all going to go because I am God. I know all of them. If they had waited one minute, I'd been telling all of them what the sins they have done. Those guys knew, they knew Jesus was a was real deal. They knew they couldn't trust Jesus to tell. Because if they stayed five more minutes, they say, Iwo, when you were with your neighbor's wife yesterday, you know, at 12 midnight, I, I, is that correct or not? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, how many Jesus doesn't send anybody? You'll be telling everybody, you'll be giving them their dose here. They knew Jesus, so they ran. They said, all right, since all of them have run away because they know what they have been hiding. <laughs> I also do not condemn you. But there's something structure Jesus did, which I believe we all need to understand. Jesus told her to go, but Jesus did not fail to talk about the sin issue. He didn't condemn her, but he didn't shy away from the fact that, hey, girl, you're living in sin. I did not judge you, but there's a higher force that can help you overcome sin. Talk to God, and he will help you overcome sin. He said, Jesus, so, and, and so you, see that, you see that difference. There are always two extremes. People will say, talk about sin all the time. Talk about sin all the time. Anybody who does this will go to hell. You lie, you go to hell. You cheat, you go to hell. You do this, you go to hell. You go to hell. And people say, ah, why are we sin conscious? That's one cut off. Why are we always sin conscious? And people say, hey, you see, sin consciousness. Then they took it to the other extreme. We will preach sermon for one year, and we won't talk about sin. Because if we talk about sin, people will think we are not accommodating and they would think that we are judgmental. But what's the right balance? The right balance is you bring them in and you tell them there is a hope for them of redemption in Christ. You open them their eyes to see what the truth of God's word is so that you can help them find forgiveness and redemption of sin. Praise God. And that is the example that Jesus gave to us. Unlike what Paul Peter did. Peter was found with the Jews. When he got crossed over to the Gentiles, he began to live with the Gentiles because he wants to be there. The moment the Jewish guys came, he said, hey, hey, yes, I've been telling you that. Paul said, what is wrong with you, bros? Egbo. <laughs> because he had been saved. Paul just got born again about 14 years after them. Or even more. Like 20 years after them. So they were older than Paul. But Paul, Paul, but Paul knows has enough sense to be able to speak truth to power. When he sees hypocrisy. And I think everyone has a right to be able to speak the truth of power when you see hypocrisy. Because hypocrisy will kill Gentile sinners. Hypocrisy will take them out of the kingdom of God. And so we need to be careful to preach what is the truth of the gospel and not our own feelings and our own, what I call our default position. And we all have that. We all came from some background. Depending on what your background is. Praise the name of Jesus. All right. You must never, never let your background before you came to Jesus, okay? Be clouds you when you are preaching the message of the gospel to Gentiles, to unbelievers. You have to bury and cast away and move away. And it's very hard to do. Especially for those of us who are brought up right. You know, one of the things that makes people very hard to get, to get saved is they say, I'm, good, I'm too good for God not to save me. And they look at the other person and say, I think of my wife that said this last Somebody got born again. And somebody else said, ah, when we were in school, this is the worst of guys. 
this guy was the worst of guys. If anything, I would have been too happy if I saw him in hell, then I know God is a God of justice. But for this guy who was so terrible in school to be to say he's now born again, I even heard that he's a preacher now. Ah, ah, God, how can you do this, God, holy God? <laughs> Those of us who went up very good, went very, were very good, were very well behaved in school. We didn't steal, we didn't lie, we didn't do calls, we didn't go around. I mean, we faced our book, we worked very hard, and we got a good job and whatever. And we are fine. We, we, we don't need God. We're just fine. Nothing keeps people away from receiving Christ Jesus other than self-righteousness. And that was the stocking trade of the Pharisees. So, what am I trying to say? God is saying to us tonight, we have to drop every act of self-righteousness in us. Let me look at the book of Luke 11, 37 to 54, and Matthew 23. Jesus spoke extensively about the Pharisees. And some of the things he spoke to them, when you look in that context, they put on people burden that they themselves are not able to carry. It's like saying to people, okay, I mean, as a pastor of a church right now, I say to people, everybody has to fast. And I don't fast. You know, you know it's possible. I can say everybody has to, we are, we, everybody has to give to CRC. You see, we are building a church, building, everybody has to give. You have to sacrifice, and I don't do it. So, I put a burden on the people, but I do not do that. Okay? That, that's what the Pharisees do. Number two, the, the Pharisees exalt their own righteousness, and even their fiscal positions above those of other human beings. Whenever a Pharisee walks into a place, you always knew they have arrived by the way they dress. That's why I feel very sad that what we came out from in the 15th century reformation of Martin Luther, we are going back to it now. People want to respect, people want to be respected. Pastors, bishops want to be respected. Apostles want to be respected. So you must put in place some crepe and some, some heart in the middle of your head and some uniform that will make you different from everybody else. So that the moment you show, everyone knows that the man of God has arrived. Whatever happened to, to dressing in jacket and suit and kaftan like everybody else? Whatever happened to having a chair like everybody else sits upon? I mean, why, why should my chair be different? And I've tried to do this even in our church, and people, some people have come to me and rebuked me. I say, Pastor, why do you have... You, you, don't, you don't know your worth. I said, tell me my worth. You cannot be sitting with the kind of chair everybody's sitting with. They will not respect you. I will buy you chair. I say, ah, they want special chair. They want special positions. That's what Pharisees do. That's a Pharisee spirit. When you begin to see these things inside you, you begin to see that you like privileged position. Like you go to a place and they tell you, the ushers tell you, sit here. And then you find, I see it all over the place here. Not only here. The ushers tell you, please sit down here. I say, no, me. Sit. You don't know who I am. Who you be. Do you know my age? But bros, what did we say? We're only doing our job as ushers. What is all this about age, position, who you are, what car you drive? People find it very hard to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. And this is happening in church. So we're seeing a lot of emphasis on clothes, on, on apparel, on regalia, just to make us different so that we can have the respect of people. The moment you begin to see that, when we reduce the faith of apostolic anointing, prophetic ministry, bishopric ministry, I don't care who whatever bishop it is, apostle it is, that he feels that he has to dress in a particular regalia. The day I dress like that, I give you permission to come and remove the car from my head. Is that correct? I said it here. It's on record. It's on tape. Because the reason I said that is because it's very easy for us to begin to fraternize with other people who dress like that and we'll begin to think it's not a bad idea. It is fashion sense. And that is how the Roman Catholic Church moved away from the truth of the gospel. 
that made Martin Luther write that, that thing on Wittenberg, like my thesis, that made them break away, calling them protest, protestant. But amazingly, I see that the protestants are beginning to do worse than the Catholic church. It's a Pharisee spirit. And it can crawl into any church. It can crawl into any apostle, anywhere. You check your friends. You check your doctrine. So Jesus spoke in the book of Matthew 16. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the... And by leaven, the people did not understand. The disciples don't understand. He said, by leaven. He says, leaven. Is it that because we didn't bring bread with us? Jesus said, you do not understand. By leaven, I meant doctrine of the Pharisees. Which meant that the Pharisees, being teachers of the law, they had specific doctrines that he held so swear. And Jesus was now talking to his, a new group of people he is discipling and raising. A revolutionary group of people he's raising. A new breed. And he said, you see those guys? You've got to be different. You've got to be... Don't teach what they teach. Don't preach what they preach. I know they are popular. They have reckoning. Everywhere they go, everybody notices them. Nobody knows you guys. But you guys represent me. Preach the truth of the gospel. And don't expect anyone to bow to you. As a matter of fact, let me tell all of you, you are all brethren. You know, Jesus said, see, if you don't know to understand, Jesus made some radical statements. And that's why those who came out of the old order, the Pharisee order, and this order, and came into the new order of Jesus, because Jesus is a new order. Hello, people? Praise God. And I don't think it's right for us to take the blood of Jesus and take it back into the old order of Pharisee and Sadducee. Because that would mean like we are crucifying him a second time to the cross. So we need to check our doctrine. We need to check what is the motivation for what we teach. Our purpose is very clear. Get the world saved. Do not judge the world. So the Pharisees, apart from the things I said, they also, number three, they are very vast in knowledge of scripture. But they lack a revelation of the spirit behind the living word. And I see a lot of time we say, <clears throat> what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? And I see, I see us come to a point whereby people are now be, begin to use the scriptures wrongly to justify their position. Is that correct? Hello, people? Any scripture? Eh, we will quote from the scripture. And they are now using scripture to justify their flesh position. The reason is because they think that scripture is just letter. But that's not letter. Scripture is not letter. Somebody reading the scripture to you from Genesis Revelation is not the word of God. The word of God is atmosphere. The word of God is spirit. The word of God is spirit and alive like a double-edged sword. It can pierce asunder the bone, the marrow, and the discernment of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. Hebrews 4.12. So anybody can read scripture and quote scripture. They are, they doesn't mean they are preaching the word of God. Is that correct? The word I speak unto you, John 6, 63. They are spirit. That's what Jesus said. So, it is the, so these guys knew the scriptures back to back, but they did not know the spirit of the Father who wrote the scripture. And so in our quest <clears throat> to do ministry, to preach the gospel, to preach, to win souls, we have to be careful not to lay emphasis on the letter of the word of the scripture. But to focus on the spirit. Somebody here with me tonight. So it's not everything that they say. The scripture says. The scripture says. The scripture says. What is the spirit behind what you are preaching? Hello people? Hey, hello people. So Jesus spoke to them. I think Matthew 16 that we have read. He said, you guys, you know the law about tithing, about anise and cumin and about this thing. He said, but you deny the weightier matters of the law. Matthew 23, yes. 
He says, because, you, 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 yeah, you could be teaching all those things you're teaching, but also you must not forget to teach about justice and about mercy. That God is a merciful God. That God's grace extends to all mankind. That God does not expect people to come to be accepted to him by the good works they do or by how excellent they are, but that they come just as they are through the blood of Jesus. Somebody say through the blood of Jesus. Now, we need to understand that as the days in which we try to preach the gospel, and every church is trying to preach the gospel, every church is trying to do evangelism work, to plant churches. We're trying to teach people to be soul winners. We're trying to get our people to start evangelizing departments or to preach the gospel through, I spoke last week, preach through work, preach through your family, preach through business, preach the gospel everywhere you go. As we're trying to do this, thing, we have to get it right, praise the name of Jesus. Our doctrine has to be clear. That it, and this, that all men are justified through simple faith in Jesus, not because they have been very perfect all their life. Praise the name of Jesus. Second Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. Now, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our, our competence comes from God. Praise God. So Paul is saying that our competence to preach the gospel comes from God. He says... And he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of what? Come on, somebody, if you are here, say to me. But of the spirit. For the letter of scripture kills. But the spirit of scripture gives life. So again, you see that the influence that must drive you in your evangelism is the spirit behind the scriptures. Is that correct? Not the letter of the word. If I have my way, but for that, but for that we have a lot of misguided things in the church world today. If I have my way, I will try, I will just paraphrase and just talk to you from, from my head. And I won't refer to the, to, I won't say open the Bible, open the Bible. But if I don't do that, so people don't ever read the Bible. This might only be the opportunity to have to read the very Bible once a week on Wednesday boost. That's why we try to say open the Bible. But ideally, I'm supposed to just freestyle and talk to you and say it's in the Bible. Go check it out. Okay, get it? Because what we should be focusing on is not that I know a lot of scriptures offhand, but that my spirit is ignited with the life of the scripture. So the Pharisees knew the scripture offhand. They knew from, they could quote all the Torah. They could quote all the laws. All right? They could talk about what to do on the Sabbath. How to condemn an adulterous woman. But they do not understand that the spirit of God is mercy, always rejoices over his judgment. And that there are some times where people are in a precarious situation that they cannot help themselves in their adultery. You can call them adulterers all you want, but they are still in that adultery and they drink drinking out that habit because they are hooked and they need deliverance, they need help. But here you are, you don't know their story. You don't know where they came from. You don't know whether they were fed with, their, with, with, their, with the alcohol, first alcohol, when they were one year old. You don't know. How many people you don't know? You don't know their story. I mean, you got brought up by parents who are very together, very well educated, and lived together, went to church. But this guy got, bought, got born in a brothel by mistake. And when he's crying and he cannot sleep, the mother says, I have customers lined up. So she takes her feeding bottle, puts beer in it, and stocks it in his mouth. The guy drinks some beer and goes to sleep. Hallelujah. 
And mommy is busy again. And that's how she grew up. Now she's 25. Hooked on alcohol. You meet him. He said, I can't touch you. You alcohol, you're such young person. You have no clue. I told you about a story of some people who coming from Libya. Alots calling from Libya. That shattered my theology. I heard myself, God, what kind of anointing am I carrying? That is alots that are calling me. I got calls, several calls. Libya, I am an alot. I am hooked. I want to be free. I don't know what to do. I said, what are you doing? What's your job? I said, I, 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 I'm an alot. You are an alot? I said, God, help me. One, two, three, four, five, six. They'll call me up at 12 midnight. They began to, I began to understand that God is trying to say to me, what I sent you is to help people, not to use your own religious thinking to condemn them. And some of those guys that spoke to me may still have to do that adultery and that sleeping for another two months to be able to raise enough money to be free to come back to Nigeria. Oh, yeah. Hey, did I watch your bubble? Because they're in a strange land. Their passports are withdrawn. The only way out for them, but the only thing is that while they are sleeping with those men, they're saying, God, please forgive me. God, please help me. And then they stumble on a movie that has my number behind it. A pastor. So they are calling this pastor. Say, please, I don't want to do this anymore. The least I can do, say, I understand. God will soon take you out of this. It won't be long. God will help you. But sin no more after you leave this. Get a life. God will forgive you. But the moment they finish talking to me on the phone, what are they going to do? Do they want to do it? Well, they have to do it for survival. So your job, my job, is to carry them in our womb by praying for them. Is to be merciful to the lost. Your job, my job, is never to condemn anyone because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him and through me and through you might be saved. We are saviors, not judges. You are a savior of mankind. You're not a judge. Stop being a judge, amen. And I think this should <clears throat> move you to go out and aggressively preach the gospel in mercy. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you heard the voice of the Lord through the message that you just heard. For further inquiries about other helpful resources and counseling, please visit us at the Capstone Church Without Walls, 360 Murtalamo Hamidway, Yaba, located beside Skybank, Yaba Bus Stop, Lagos, Nigeria. Or call 080-2318-2030. You can email helpdesk at thecapstoneonline.com. Thank you so much for listening. May God bless you indeed.